Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app.
Welcome to Crime Talk BK. This is Joanna Perpich. I'm here with my co-host, Megan Duffy. Good morning. And Megan has some exciting news. She met Paul Holes. <laughs> I did. I wanted to hug him, but, um, you know, social graces don't want to scare and terrify the crap out of him. He's charming and lovely, though. Uh, we aspire I just want you to know that there was like hordes of murderinos yesterday who were like incredibly jealous <laughs> of um, Paul Hull's event. Also, it is like boiling in the studio. It is. is there any way you could prop that door up? You want me to slide the door open? Yeah. If you hear random background noises like the cleaning walking lady and blame the cleaning lady, <laughs> the cleaning lady, it's uh, so we don't melt. Yeah. I apologize. Um, so this week we're going to celebrate Women's History Month or Women's International Women's Month. What I, is it? I don't know. The Month of Women. Yes. By talking about how terrible it is to be a woman in prison. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have picked an inspiring woman to talk about, too. Yeah. And so uh, just recap for me who you picked and a little bit about what she did. Her name's Agnes. Gund, and she started the Art for Justice Fund. Oh, that sounds fun. Oops, sorry. Yeah. And therapeutic. <laughs> therapeutic. Um, she's, you know, she put her all, she sells off her art to put her money where her mouth is. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And then I'm going to be talking a little bit about Chandra Bozelko, who was, um, if you guys have seen Orange is the New Black, she's basically the real life version of Piper, but much less obnoxious. Um, this is a uh, woman who uh, had an Ivy League education, undergrad at Princeton, Johns Hopkins for grad school. She was in law school when she got arrested. She's from Con- or she uh, went to prison in Connecticut um, for uh, identity theft. And um, while she was there, she started this prison blog. And uh, just to kind of capture what it's actually like for um, people in an all-women's prison. And um, I chose her because she is basically a criminal justice educator. And um, she has some very interesting takes on the system that I think would be worth us to listen to as someone who went through it. Cool. Cool. But first, uh, I'm going to give out <clears throat> the uh, call-in number for Radio Free Brooklyn because uh, we're finally starting to drum up some interest with our fans. 
I'm going to give it a couple of different times throughout the show. If you have any thoughts or opinions about today's topic or just in general crime, <laughs> <laughs> please call in. Um, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 718-928-9732. Grab your pens. It's 718-928-9732. And if you've missed that, we're going to we're going to do it again. I'm actually going to even just turn the phone on on the board for after news of the week. Um so basically as soon as you call in, our system will automatically pick up and you'll be able to hang out with us for a little bit. Announcements. RFB Teen Squad, uh, we have a uh, new segment going on April 29th. So if uh, you or your teen would like to sign up, um, April 29th is when the new session begins. You will learn audio production, live broadcasting, um, media ethics, reporting, and news gathering. Uh, for more information how to apply, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Teen Squad. That's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Teen Squad. Um, and, of course, we accept donations because we're a nonprofit. We're all volunteers. RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. It's been an exciting week. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Um, not personally, but... Um. The news is the news is good. Uh, so I actually have an update on our mob boss murder. Oh yeah, we're we're gonna also be following this one closely now that El Chapo is tucked away. All right. So um, last week was the murder of Staten Island mob boss Frank Callie. He was shot to death in his front yard. Very uh, surreal. Uh, what's that show I watch sometimes? The on Sopranos. HBO? Yeah, I just. Perfect soprano setup. Anyway, they have arrested Anthony Camello, 24. Um, now, uh, police speculate that Camello killed Callie because Camello was trying to date Callie's niece and um, Callie was not so cool about it. <laughs> so there's a chance that this uh, great crime boss has been laid low by a uh, heated lover. Hmm. So, I did read that he was afraid for his life. Yeah, so... Which um, doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> well, Camelo said that he went over to Callie's, to Callie's house to uh, confront him about him dating his niece. Uh-huh. About Camelo dating Callie's niece. Right. And uh, he says that things got heated and that uh, Callie threatened to shoot him, which possible, I guess. And that um, Camillo quickly shot back in self-defense. Um, now this is Six not, times? Yeah, I yeah. know. Six times. Okay. And it would be kind of interesting for this whole thing to just happen in someone's front yard if it really was a, like, hey, buddy, let's go, let's talk. Yeah, I'm not buying it. Uh, well, me neither. But, you know, innocent until proven guilty, blah, blah. Sure. <laughs> yes, no, that's true. But I don't buy that story. I don't buy the spurn but lover. It's going to be a really interesting court case, though, if his uh, the defense goes. But, with... oh, yeah, he's got a dipshit. I mean, he was standing in court the other day with the MAGA symbol on his palm. Oh, he was? Yeah. 
Did they flash the okay sign, like all good white supremacists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bailiff had to come over and tell him to put his fucking hand down. <laughs> MAGA. No. No. We're not Alex Jones. Speaking <coughs> of, there's a great, really great This American Life episode on Alex Jones. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's kind of about like, where did he come from? What rock did he crawl out from under? Yeah, basically. So okay. they talk to a bunch of his uh, middle school friends. Yeah. So oh, yes. Like Let's... way back. Uh huh. Turns out, unsurprisingly, maybe Alex Jones was a bit of a bully yeah. in school. You don't say. And that he like flew into a rage and beat the pulp out of one of his friends. So then his friend's friends at a party decided to um, retaliate, and Alex Jones got pretty badly hurt. Mm-hmm. And so then his family's like, all right, we're moving you. But he would like walk around the school, banging on lockers and declaring himself the son of the devil and the Antichrist and just like screaming. So he knew it at an early age yeah. that he was the Antichrist. I don't know. It kind of gave me some sympathy for him. It kind of made me think that Alex Jones probably did not get a lot of positive reinforcement and was like... He found love through being a terror. Mm. Talk space. (laughs) Anyway, that was a good NPR voice. Say you're a guy. All right. And then um, let me see. Last Saturday, a 41-year-old Muslim woman was attacked in Flatbush at around 3.30 p.m. So this would have been after our show. She was walking along Avenue H near Rugby Road where a stranger pulled up to her and tried to trip her by kicking her feet. And just kind of terrorizing her. This is, of course, comes days after the New Zealand terrorist attack. Oh, God. Where, was it like 50 people were shot and killed at a mosque? Two mosques? And uh, so police are investigating um, this attack to see if it was a possible hate crime. Uh, The suspect is still out there. Asshole. Don't attack people because of their religion. (laughs) This has been life lessons. I mean, with crime talk. <laughs> the world we live I can't in. with these people. I can't anymore. I can't. The intolerance is just too much. I know. And then um Christians listening, you do not have it the worst. At least not in America. No. Nope. Uh, oh, let me see. We have uh, more romantic standoffs. Mm. Friday, former NYPD Sergeant Richard Blake was accused of shooting a romantic rival in the face while off duty. <laughs> I like how you emphasize that in the face. I just like. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a lot of body to shoot. Yeah, like, I know. I know. Anyway, um, oh, so this is kind of the funny slash sad part is, is that, um, okay, one, the victim survived, which is great. Okay, good. Um, but the police, apparently after the shooting, he kind of like looked around and there's surveillance footage of him doing this. He takes out a knife and he just puts it next to the victim's body and then kind of scampers off. And then a few minutes later, he goes and picks this it up and takes it. This man is a badge-carrying police officer? Yeah. Oh, good Lord. 
So this is the best part. <laughs> he needs to watch some ID Discovery. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Good God. But I just love like the furtive, like glancing around, slipping the knife out, throwing it next to him, and then just kind of like. I know it. That's, and then coming back. That's remarkable. All right. So he has been um, indicted on planting a weapon, but not attempted murder. Not even like a aggravated assault charge or anything? Just planting a weapon. What? Well, it's because they have surveillance footage. They literally can't ignore that part. Right. So who knows? Maybe the guy shot himself and then this police officer, out of the goodness of his heart or something, decided to... Uh, mm, nope. Yeah, I know. Lame. So that's exciting. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, so you can read more at the New York Daily News. We will keep you updated because this is just defies belief. (laughs) It's going to be like a really dumb butt buddy comedy in like five years over this incident. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, and we have more kicking. Friday, police are looking for a man who viciously, viciously kicked an elderly woman in the face during a uh, Bronx subway attack. Uh, it was caught on video, and uh, the guy who watched, who recorded the video is Brooklyn Rel One. Uh, so he recorded it. And he recorded it and did not do anything. Right. So this woman, you see her, she's old, just gray hair. Yeah. She has like all these bags around her, and she's on the northbound two train at around 3 a.m. on March 10th. This man comes up, to hostile. Starts kicking her, kicking her bags. She kind of like falls over and he's just like full on like wheelhouse kicking this poor woman. Like Chuck Norris. So we're just going to record it and not intervene on someone's behalf. Which to a degree I like sort of get because I'm not entirely sure if a man just randomly starts kicking someone, I'm going to jump in and say something. So at least this way they can catch him. I guess. But anyway. Okay. I will withhold further comment. <laughs> I know, but it's like shitty either way, right? It's shitty either way. Who knows? Maybe the the person recording is like a boxing champion and Cole totally could have taken the guy out. Uh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, all right. So that's also a daily news. If you want to watch the video I did, it was sad. I decided not to play it because it's just sad. Thanks. Thanks for that. You're welcome. I appreciate you. I figured you'd be a little tired after your night of canned wine. Yeah. <laughs> Boxed, actually. Boxed box wine. <laughs> That's pretty good, too. Now I'm just imagining you with the box on your arm and a straw. Like <laughs> I have a wine purse. <laughs> it's got a tap. So our main news of the week that everyone is super on pins and needles about is our national news corner. Mueller finishes. I know. I'm so excited. Mueller finished his investigation and he turned the report into Attorney General William Barr. Now Barr gets to decide what to do with it. Probably nothing, but I'm still dying to read it. I don't see how they could not release something. Mm. There's huge amounts. And even Republicans are called. They're like, you know what? If the president didn't didn't do anything, let's like shut these Dems up. Let's give them the. Well, we paid for it. We should get to read it. It's true. Um, I feel like there's probably some incriminating evidence after our dear friend Michael Cohen. Mm. Just 
Poor bastard. Ran a bus through. <laughs> God, that was fun watching them, though. It was good, wasn't it? Anyway, um, yeah, if you have any comments on the Michael Cohen investigation. Or the Mueller report. Or the Mueller report. Any speculation. Call in. Get your pen ready. We love wild speculation. Oh, we're so about it. <laughs> Fully support you in your wild speculation. Too, too, what is it like? Too small to fail? <laughs> Call in at 718-928-9732. Let's try to get a lawsuit going. I'm sorry. I don't mean that. That's all right. I know a couple of lawyers. God, please protect us. Yeah, I guess you do. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> 718-928-9732. I've never said that in my life. <laughs> it seems fitting. I don't know. I mean, I think it would be like really terrifying if we were the only Radio Free Brooklyn show to get a lawsuit against us. I'm so sorry, Tom Tenney. That is like not at all what we're trying it's to not, do. It's not our goal. I work for a law firm, though. Well, I know a couple of good lawyers. They can help. <laughs> I can, like, clean up for the stand. <laughs> That'll be my useful. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'm, like, crying right now. All right. So um, what do you expect from this? From this? Um, I, I'm betting that it's got... Uh, proof or evidence that there was um, Russian interference. I mean, like, you don't arrest, convict, charge as many people as they have without having that kind of evidence. So I think there's going to be that in there. Um, I'm hoping that there will be um, further leads for the Southern District of New York to pursue uh, legal actions against the Trump family. That's actually the one that I'm most excited for. Yeah. Because that's all public record. Yeah. Um, you know, like the violation of the emoluments clause and basically just using the government does their own piggy bank. Yeah. I don't know. I actually don't think anything's going to happen to Trump based off this report. I think that it sounds like the political landscape um, folks are waiting on the election. Yeah. I think the the worst thing that could happen is that um, th- there'll be another Republican primary. He won't be, though. Oh, I would prefer that. I would prefer that, too. Yeah. I don't know if, if our country, I think we're so divided at this point. That I don't think we could. Surviving an impeachment. Yeah. Um, and a conviction of that impeachment process, I think would be too much. Well, and also it's like. Some people might disagree, but I feel like this is not a uh, controversial statement. Not all Republicans are evil. No, they're not. <laughs> Let's get a good Republican running against a field of great Democrats. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Let's make our country stronger. There are plenty of people who are not Donald Trump who... Would take the office seriously. Yeah. yeah. You know, like... I think that a lot of people fear that this whole thing has just turned into this like partisan, I don't know, like cockfight. But I mean, everyone wants the country to succeed. Right. And it's like, let's get someone in here who the who everyone can feel like 
they can put their trust in. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to look like this. Like a reality show? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. Is I want, it- yeah, I want to vote him off the island. I really do. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, although I do have some, a little like sparkly note to end our News of the Week segment. Yeah. Which it involves our favorite Supreme Court justice. Uh, so I'm starting to think that we should just have like um, daily thoughts with RBG. We could do that. Because I feel, because I was like so much fun wishing her happy birthday. Yeah. So I'm kind of trying to continue it. Okay. Uh, so in honor of uh, National Women's Day, uh, Sam Adams created a beer in RBG's honor. Really? Uh-huh. Okay. It's a Belgian Brute IPA, um, released March 8th, and it's called When There Are Nine. Oh. And that is homage to the quote, one of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's most iconic statements. Uh, she was asked, when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court? And she famously said, there will be enough women on the Supreme Court when there are nine. Mm-hmm. So. Toast to RBG. Have your RBG beer. I don't like Belgian whites, but that's okay. It's an IPA, so I feel like maybe it's better. I'll try it. I'm not too fan of wheat beers either. No. Anyway, so <clears throat> this is, um, I don't even know what I call this. I've, women's, National Women's Month. Yeah, I, whatever it is. Yes. International Women's History Dance off. <laughs> the month of the woman. Yeah. Um, all right. And so we wanted to look at um, women who have been influential in criminal justice reform. And I just have some general stats for you to understand why women need special consideration in the criminal justice system. <laughs> About 10% of the nation's 2.2 million prisoners are women. That is 219,000. Uh, the Prison Policy Initiative found that the rate of growth of incarcerated women in prison is the highest it's ever been. I know that 10% doesn't seem like very much, um, but it's growing, and the vast majority of these women are in there for nonviolent crimes, like drug-related crimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, prison's rough on everyone, but for women, like there are some things that are just very much not being taken seriously. The female jail population today is 14 times greater than it was in 1970. And um, over 13 million more women are under some type of correctional control, like probation or parole. And uh, these stats are all from 2018. Uh, So just to start out, uh, you're looking into Agnes Gund, correct? Yes, I am. So do you want to give a bit of she is uh, yeah she was um, born in Ohio privileged life went to the fancy schools on the East Coast upper um, you know let's see Park Avenue apartment so she grew up here no she she grew up in Ohio went to fancy schools and like Connecticut girls schools in Connecticut okay I forget what's called um fancy girls school in Connecticut was the name of her school fancy girls school um. Fancy pants. So she, I, I'm not sure how she ended up making her money, but she became a uh, art collector. 
um, just for her own enjoyment. And then um, through her family, who um, she now has, I think it's four or six of her grandchildren are African-American. Her children married African-American partners and or they adopted out of one of her daughters adopted out of Mississippi. She ended up seeing some of the, for lack of a better word, blights that face uh, African-Americans specifically um, with relation to social justice. So um, she ended up selling a Lichtenstein, a very famous Lichtenstein painting called The Masterpiece for about $130 million. And of that, she took $100 million, gave it to the Ford Foundation, and they created Art for Justice, which is a fund that has a four-part strategy to um, changing the criminal justice system. And, um, but their main focus this year is shutting down Rikers. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so she's got a lot of people involved in that. Um, she's focusing on that. But I wanted to just briefly go over the bullet points of their strategy. Um, the first one is keeping people out of jail. And that's by bail reform, obviously, is the biggest one because most people are stuck in Rikers because they're poor and they can't, they don't have anybody that they could even borrow the money from. So they're, they sit there for months and months and months. And then... Um, Another change would be prosecutorial accountability where, you know, move these cases along faster, um, more transparent, uh, you know, sometimes a little less crooked. Um, and then art-based diversion programs for young people. That's how they would, that's how they keep people out of jail. And then they work on, the second one is shortening sentences. Um, obviously, so for, trying to get rid of maybe like mandatory minimum type things. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the third one is promoting reentry. So you have job training, you have GED programs, you have um, assisting in um, housing, assisting in um, job applications, you know, work clothes, like all the basic necessities that people need to reenter into society. And uh, as a productive citizen. Um, and then the fourth thing is um, just changing the narrative through art. So they go into prisons or jails and they promote art programs as also a way to address a lot of societal problems, mental health issues. It's like a sort of an art therapy program, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And I picked her because I was so depressed after reading about women in jail and all the issues that they face. And I was going to address all that. So she, beca Agnes became kind of a beacon of hope for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just so nice that, I mean, you have like a philanthropist, this mm -hmm. very wealthy woman mm -hmm. is taking her love of something very beautiful. And she's trying to, you know, like her art and she's trying to place that somewhere else. Yeah. And really help people. Um, and it's like both striking and maybe a little frustrating that she cares because she watched her children and her grandchildren and, and she's like understanding the, the threats that they might mm -hmm. possibly 
face mm-hmm. as like black kids growing up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I guess people really do need that personal connection, though, in order to. For it to really sink in, I think I think that's true, particularly, if, you know, um, people of a certain privilege who aren't exposed on a daily mm-hmm. basis. Like, she's not riding the bus, you know? Yeah, it's so easy to tell yourself that these things aren't happening, even as other folks are screaming at you right. that or even this it's, is it's, an it's, issue. It can't be that bad. Right? Yeah. Like, it's not, it's a non-issue to a lot of people. Um. And that's actually one of the reasons why I picked Chandra Bozelko. Uh, I figure we can probably talk about both of our people at the same time a little yeah. bit since there seems to be a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. So uh, Chandra um, is this uh, Princeton-educated white woman who uh, was arrested, who faced a variety of charges from 2005-2008, things like identity theft, forgery, larceny, um, illegal use of a revoked credit card. She faced 13 felony convictions and four misdemeanors. And she was sentenced to a bit over six years in prison in York prison in Connecticut. And uh, so while she was there, she uh, went through a her prison's writing program. And that program was really a lifeline for her. And she started blogging and she created something called the Prison Diaries which is just her talking about her day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm assuming at the time that she was just trying to write it all down then someone on the outside was putting it online for her. And so when she got out of prison, she has since gone on to, she wrote a book. She's written for Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post. She appeared on CNN. And uh, she's really taken on the mantle of, being a like criminal justice educator, mm-hmm. like to the issues that are that women face, yeah. Okay, in, in general, like everyone, but of course, she was at a women's prison, yeah. So, like, some of the issues that she really cares about are things like censorship and like education in prison, mm-hmm. which, of course, is not a women's only issue. But then she also talks about like maintaining dignity, yeah, in prison, um, through having access to pads and tampons, through being able to shave your legs in prison right. and have access to beauty products, which make a huge, we on the outside, I think it's easy for us to be like, oh, poor you, you can't do your hair. But for someone who is so isolated, you know. Just those little things would give them a little bit of dignity. Like they can at least feel good about the way they look. And I know it sounds very shallow to those of us sitting on the outside, but what if that's, one of the things that you, the only thing you have. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't go out of my house without my eyebrows on. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we express our identity through so many ways, through yeah. our clothes, through our hair, through our makeup. Mm-hmm. And then inside you're stripped of your identity, you know? Yeah. You're all wearing the same thing. You don't have access to those things. So wh- how do you, how do you find a way to, um, express that individuality. But uh, the reason I brought her up when you were talking about your person is the idea that you need this personal connection to really understand what these women are going through. Um, and 
I think that Chandra provides such a such a nice way of doing it where regardless of your background, regardless if you've known anyone in prison or not, or if you could ever imagine yourself in prison, you can read this blog, you know, mm-hmm. and it really puts you there. Right. And I mean, she's a pretty good writer. And I mean, I had some hesitation of choosing her uh, because she's like not representative of the people who face prison time, the people who are most at risk yeah. of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as I was going through her blog, um, she does talk about her own experience, but she tries very hard to acknowledge her privilege and to try to place other people's stories at the center of her ideas. Mm-hmm. And so she said that there was like this one woman who was in there for... Uh, fraud because she lied about her address so her child could go to another school. I remember that woman. I think it happens a lot. She wasn't she facing wasn't she in there for like four or six years or something? Yeah, uh, Chandra is saying that at least this case, this woman had more time than she did, mm-hmm. and um, and so Chandra's blog post was kind of about like this is a system that works out really well if you have money. It works out better if you're white. Mm-hmm. Well, that woman, (laughs) too, came up um, last week during the um, college scandal. Mm -hmm. And there was an opinion piece where they had had posted a link to her, how she got four years for just filing these papers with her father's address on it, where, and these people are spending millions of dollars to buy their kid into Harvard. Yeah. Right. And what's happening to them? And it's just like... Criminalizing poverty. Uh-huh. You know? Yep. And when you think about, like, the role as a mother, especially, mm-hmm. you know, like... Just trying to give your kid a leg up. And it's your dad's address. It's not, like, it's some P.O. box. Even if it was a P.O. box. I mean, I don't think that the desire to have an education that your child is promised by the U.S. government trying to get that education should not be a crime. Right. And it's all sorts of little things like um, maybe like committing food. Sorry, there's (laughs) someone having a party in the lobby and. um, (laughs) Damn cleaning lady. We appreciate our cleaning ladies. We do. We just don't appreciate noisy, weird people in the lobby. (laughs) But, you know, like my heart, I really feel for people who are who are convicted for food stamp fraud or for all these little things. That's that, a, it's such stupid shit. It really is. Yeah. Um, maybe this will be a good time to get opinions from our listeners. You can call in at 718-928-9732. Again, that's 718 718- Nine two eight nine seven three two. Let us know what you think about poverty crime. We clearly have some feelings. Um. So, as far as like closing Rikers and all that goes, was there anything in particular that really stood out to you as like a huge issue? Um. Not with anything that I could find about her specifically saying. Um. 
you know, the implementation, but they're the Ford Foundation and Art for Justice are put are putting together grant packages currently for those that are working to close it. Um, as we know, Cory Booker is a big proponent of that. And I'm hoping I haven't heard Cuomo talk about it this year, but it's we're just barely at the end of the first quarter. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it will be addressed. And uh, we actually had a closing Rikers episode. Mm-hmm. Was that before your time? I don't yes, remember. I think it was. And I went to a community meeting mm-hmm. and got to talk to some people. And um, a lot of this is just about how there's so many crimes that the criminal, like going to prison is not going to help you not do that crime. And the crimes are somewhat victimless or the true victim of the crime is the person doing it. Yeah. Like drugs. Yeah. And uh, oh, maybe those people should just not be in jail at all. <laughs> Am I keeping you awake? No. <laughs> I have a NyQuil hangover. Oh, ick. It was like the worst. I had a dream that I was in my like childhood bedroom. That stuff gives me the weirdest dreams. I can't take it. But it was my bed at home. I don't know how much my parents paid for it. It's like a five, six hundred dollar bed. It's Maybe, I swear to God, that thing is like sleeping in heaven. Mm -hmm. Like when I die, I want to wake up in that bed. (laughs) And so there was something that was like so horrible about like falling asleep and then waking up and being like, I'm at home. Mom is going to take care of me. Mm. And then falling asleep again and then waking up in my like shitty apartment in Brooklyn (laughs) on my like three inch foam Ikea bed. Oh, girl, I'll start a collection for you. I'm going to go fund me and get you a brand new mattress. It's rough. Yeah. Oh, that was a. So if I'm a little bit tired, it's because my brain is still in NyQuil land. I am so sorry. Um, but just in your research, uh, what stood out to you? Um, well, she, currently she's partnering up with Oprah. Oh my God. Um, for Oprah 20. Oprah, right. Um, I don't want Oprah's president. Um, but they are they're working on the um the fourth initiative, which is which is changing the narrative through art. So um her fancy pants school is getting a huge grant. I'm not sure why, but um because I don't think they need the narrative change there. But they're also giving um grants to a number of other um uh, educational pers- programs across the country that um deal with art and at-risk youth after school programs. But as we all know, what the you know when sc- public schools cut funding, what's the first thing to go? Art, music, and sports. Mm-hmm. Right? And those are the things that give kids <laughs> purpose. Yeah, um, you know they they can find commonality among their friends and their peers. They you know like learn how to be a normal human being. Um, yeah. So that was really kind of what struck me. That's what's going on with Art for Justice this year. Is there putting packages together to sort of help kids stay focused on getting through school and, and enjoying life a little bit through art and even, you know, maybe going to, into a career with art, whether it's, you know, working at Sotheby's ultimately or being an artist or opening a gallery or, you know, or being an art teacher art teacher, or going into graphic design. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, there's like so many things that you can do if you are good at art. Yeah. You know, like work for Pixar. 
you know? Yeah. So it's, it's just, um, so reading through, reading about her and art for justice gave me a little bit of hope. So I hope, I hope with that, these programs that the hope that I feel for these, it's actually working, you know, it's, it's, they're on the ground, they're in the trenches with these kids. And, um, and I, I want to see, I want to see more of it. And I want to see more people doing something like this. Yeah. And there's, you know, in, in the research, there's a lot of rumblings that more people are doing it this way too. All these rich people selling their art to donate, but I don't, I haven't, I didn't go down the rabbit hole that far Mm -hmm. to find out. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you have cash lying around, um, putting it towards criminal justice reform is definitely not the worst thing that you could do with it. Right. Elon Musk talking to you. Bloomberg. (laughs) Um, So I think that the thing that struck me the most about researching like issues in prison was, and it was Chandra's writing was the sense of desperation, hopelessness, isolation Mm -hmm. that she and the other inmates feel and felt. Um, And they're convinced, and perhaps rightly so, that the outside world has just completely abandoned them. Uh, I imagine. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, there's probably some women in there that the whole world has abandoned. They're isolated in a way that we can't even comprehend. And it does detrimental harm to their mental health, uh-huh. to their rehabilitation, to uh-huh. their physical health. And uh, so reading Chandra's work, I was really struck by her harm reduction approach to it. Tell me more about that. Um, so harm reduction is an idea that started in the uh, the kind of the drug epidemic mm-hmm. community, mm-hmm. I guess, like rehabil- rehabs. And so harm reduction is you meet people where they're at. Uh, so say for the heroin epidemic right now, it means having safe injection sites. Right. You know, acknowledging the okay. reality of the situation. Got it. And so then in prison, the types of things that she's suggesting, suggesting are things like dignity for the inmate, mm-hmm. you know, like understanding that a lot of these programs aren't going to do that much wholly unsupported. So her main one that really struck me was this idea of education. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what good is education when only 15% are literate? You know, right. It's like college classes. Great for all the 10 people who aren't so depressed who have the background for it. Right. You know, there are like a lot of reasons why inmates would not take advantage of these things that would really help them further their career, set them up for success when they get out. And so she said, uh, and she actually, I have some statistics here on education. Let me see. Uh, Only, uh, let me see. The majority of U.S. inmates cannot read or read at a very low level, according to a 2003 study by the Pro-Literacy America. And only 9% of inmates who, with low literacy skills, receive literacy training in prison. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so is that because the programs aren't available or or it sounds a little bit like the programs are at maybe too high of a level or they're just not available. Mm-hmm. Also, the type, types of books that get past censorship in prisons. Oh, God, I know it. Yeah. There's like pages and pages of reasons why you can't have certain books. For example, the newsletters from the Coalition, Coalition for Prisoners Rights is banned in prison. What? Because it is... Uh, Inflammatory? Yeah. I mean, they might actually have an idea. So they, so words are going to incite a riot? Yeah, basically anything that's critical is banned. Um, Reported articles from The New Yorker have been banned. Other magazines, like news in general, is very, very hard to get to these folks. Huh. The bit. Hmm. And it is just heartbreaking because, well, there actually have been some successful court cases. Um, recently, an Illinois federal judge, uh, Matthew Kennelly, uh, held in Kroger v. Dart, that uh, Cook County Jail, that's Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, policy of prohibiting newspapers violated inmates' First Amendment. And um, okay, that's not prison, though. I mean, it's like Rikers. Right. No, I know, I know. Yeah. But it's like it's like setting the precedent of inmates' rights, mm-hmm. inmate first amendment rights. Right. They don't have I mean, they're they don't abandon all rights once they're once they enter jail yeah. or prison. They don't. And so while that specifically is towards uh jail, the point that Chandra is making in this article is is that uh these policies are somewhat interchangeable between the two. Mm-hmm. And it went so far that the jail claimed that inmates could use newspapers to clog toilets as mm. a reason why they sh- should not be allowed to have access to them. There's other paper though there, right? Like other paper? They just don't want them to have them. I don't, I don't know why. I, they... they have paper to write letters yeah. on. So that's bullshit. It's just so heartbreaking to think, like, if you were to just read what it sounds like these wardens and prison guards want, it sounds so much that, like, some of these decisions are solely made just to make the prisoners' lives more miserable. Yeah, keep them down. And I don't really know where that comes from. Well, I think it's the whole idea that you just, you know, tight control, iron fist control. They might have an idea unto themselves. I mean, they they do anyway. It's not, it's not like a newsletter is going to incite a riot. They're going to riot because they're not getting a newsletter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. more likely that they're not. They're going to riot because of prohibitions, not because of something that's written in a New Yorker article. But she was saying <laughs> that um, adding newspapers to prison is one of the best things that you can do for prisoners because. Newspapers, there's a lot of context clues. They're short. It's like 600-word articles. So if you have a student who's struggling through two or three pages of a chapter book, Mm -hmm. they can get kind of down on themselves. Yeah. Whereas like an article, you can sit down for a couple of hours, work at it, and make progress. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's about things that are familiar to you. It's about daily life. And often newspapers are written at a reading level that is more inclusive. Mm -hmm. But then you also have op-eds, which have a little bit more complicated vocabulary. Right. So just giving an inmate a newspaper um, 
really helps education in a way that can make a huge difference in terms of staying out of prison in the future. Right. I know that's not a women's issue, but that was the one that surprised me the most in terms of what she's chosen to focus on in all of these articles in, in The Guardian and Huffington Post. So much of it was like First Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And then she also talks a lot about how uh, survivors of sex abuse in prison are at just like such a severe disadvantage in like every way. And uh, so studies suggest that between 47 and 82% of women have endured uh, sex abuse crimes of women in prison. So 82% of women in prison were sexually abused as a kid. Jesus Christ. And um, let me see. Other studies place the number as high as 94%. Right? Yeah. 94% of women in prison have been sexually abused. Oh my God. And, um, no therapy for them, no mental health programs for them. No, but also a lot of times trauma and PTSD causes the original crime that lands them there in the first place. Right. And it's not going to get any easier once you're locked up in the cage. And so that's why this particularly is a women's issue is because, Childhood sex abuse, particularly amongst women, is highly correlated, according to this one study, with opioid abuse. Mm -hmm. And between 2002 and 2013, heroin use among women doubled. And also, 82% of women in state prison have been convicted for nonviolent offenses. So you can really see where all of this is building, Mm -hmm. where it's like violence against women causes women to break Laws that honestly do things that are illegal that should maybe not even be illegal. That they wouldn't have done necessarily had they not been assaulted. Or even, you know, yeah. Or like, I don't know. I can totally imagine it's like you're sexually abused throughout your childhood. You run away from home. You start work, doing sex work. You start whatever. It's like there's no reason why sex work should be illegal. There's no reason why uh, drug use Mm-mm. Should be illegal. Nope. And these things are disproportionately affecting traumatized women. Yes. So that's. If you want to read more about it, uh, I am. I'm going to read more. I'm going to read her blog. It, uh, so her name is Chandra Bozelko, B O Z E L K O. And um, again, like take her experience with a grain of salt. You know, like she definitely came to prison much better positioned than. <clears throat> A lot of people, uh, but she kind of offers this bridge between other people like her who went to fancy colleges, you know, like the policymakers. Right. And the people who are on the front lines. Well, maybe her and Aggie Gunn can get together and do something. Yeah. That'd be great. So any last thoughts before we wrap up our show? Um... No, I, I, well, I don't, I just, this is, this whole thing that we've just been talking about is what depressed me when we started, when we picked this topic. I know, I'm sorry. It's okay. It can't be, you know, rainbows and kittens every goddamn day. Um, but, um, it makes you think about what can I do here? What can I, is there, a, is there somewhere I can donate 
money or products or things that they might need? How do I help them, you know, maintain some sort of dignity? But and that's going to take some research because, you know, prisons aren't just going to accept bulk packages from Amazon. Well, you can vote. Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker have both been very up on criminal justice their time in the Senate. Yep. So that's something that we can all definitely do. I can get behind that. All right. Well, our time is up. Thank you so much for joining us on Crime Talk BK. Uh, Join us next next Saturday at 11 a.m. Later days. can tell you people they were the devil's children Bonnie and Clyde began their evil doing one lazy afternoon down Savannah Way they robbed a store and hightailed out of that town got clean away in a stolen car and waited till the heat died down Advanced their reputation and made the graduation into the banking business. Reach for the sky, sweet talking pride would holler as Bonnie loaded dollars in the Julep bag. Now, one brave man, he tried to take them alone. They left him lying in a pool of blood and laughed about it. Enemy number one Running and hiding from every American lawman's gun They used to laugh about dying But deep inside them they knew That pretty soon they'd be lying Beneath the ground together Pushing up there just to welcome the sun and the morning A federal deputation laid a deadly ambush When Bonnie and Clyde came walking in the sunshine 